so I'd like to start with a quick disclaimer that I am not a scholar, and um, I haven't had any formal training in the Bible or theology, so I'm here to speak um, as someone who is just sharing a topic that's close to heart for me, uh, as Keith mentioned, around faith and doubt and questions and how those fit together. If you have any questions, uh, comments, doubts about this, feel free to come up to me after. I'm more than happy to, to listen and chat. So, All right. So um, this is my first time speaking here at Grassroots, and I thought I would just start by sharing a little bit about myself, because um, I know I'm a, a relatively new face over the past few years. So I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I did grow up going to church as a kid because I was introduced to it quite young. So I was in this agnostic, atheist kind of home, and then I went to church on Sundays, and then I went to a public school where probably about 80% of people were not Christians. And I found myself constantly trying to make sense of the world through these different perspectives. Um, and uh, and I, in some ways, I think that's a privilege to be able to, to go through that process. Um, and when I came to my teens was when I think I was really kind of struggling or trying to work this through in a deeper way. And the question that was constantly on my mind is, why is it that even though I'm in these healthy friendships and family relationships, I still long for something deeper, um, particularly a deep desire to be known and loved? And, and that question, through a series of events and pushing God away, actually led me to believe in God. Um, and commit to following Jesus. But in the years to follow, I found that I often had lots of questions and doubts that would come up. And when I would share these questions with people around me, particularly other Christians, the response I'd get often goes something like this. Oh, that's a great question. Um, keep asking that question as long as you come to this answer. Like, or if I had a, a more serious kind of doubt, like, how do I know that what I believe is, is really real, and what if I'm wrong about this? The response I'd get would be, um, yeah, you should, you should just keep pushing through. Faith is about like, pushing through and staying focused and not asking those kind of questions. Or you can ask them, but just come back to this particular set of beliefs. And I kind of had this impression that doubts um, are a scary thing, doubts are a bad thing. Uh, and maybe you can relate to this, maybe you've also had experiences where you've had questions about who God is, whether or not you grew up in the church, um, and have wondered, like, what if what I believe is not real? Or what if I've got it wrong? And if that's you, I think that that's a really normal, um, and I would say even good question to ask. Um, and not only would I say that I think that's a good question to ask, but I actually think it's one that Jesus encourages us sometimes to ask. So don't take my word for it. I'd like to show you um, today where I, I've come to that conclusion, and, or how I've come to that conclusion, and allow you to decide for yourself if that's something you see Jesus teaching. So uh, today's... Um, passage is going to be from John 9. Really briefly, John is a book um, in the Bible that records stories around Jesus, and tradition tells us that John, the disciple of Jesus, is the one who wrote it. There's debate about that. 
but for the sake of today's discussion, I'll assume that John's the author. And there's this theme throughout the book of John, which um, can, can be summarized as, if Jesus is really the light of the world, why don't people see that? And John 9 is one story that tries, and touch, tries to touch on that, that topic. So I'd actually like to spend some time to read through the passage today. Um, it's a kind of a long passage, but I think that sometimes just from hearing it being read out, that can speak to you and the Holy Spirit works in ways that I won't be able to do. So please, uh, please, uh, yeah, listen with an open heart. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he just looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am that man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the bland men, blinded men. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you, you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know, ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. The parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ or the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why the parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. 
he replied. Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have already told you, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to be his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from. Yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. When Jesus had heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me, so that I may believe him, in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and said, what? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. There's a lot there. And uh, we're not going to be able to get through all of this. But I would like to kind of walk through it a bit and um, highlight some key points for us today. I also need to apologize that I'm getting over a cold. And so if I'm pausing to get a sip of water or I need to cough or something, please um, excuse me. So this story in John 9, which I should probably pick back up, um, highlights this interaction between Jesus, this blind man, and the Pharisees. And it contrasts the response of the blind man with the Pharisees and their heart toward Jesus, and their response toward Jesus. So it starts off, and these disciples ask Jesus a question. Their logic is this. Well, God is fair, so he's not going to punish anyone unless they do something bad. This man's blind. He's born blind. Either him or his parents must have done something bad, which is why he's blind. And so they ask Jesus, and they say, Jesus, why was this person blind? Is it him or his parents that sinned? And what does Jesus say? Jesus takes that assumption that if someone does something bad, it leads to this consequence, and he says, neither. It's not that simple. And I think that when we think of faith sometimes, we have these ideas, okay, if you do something bad, this happens. If you do something good, this happens. And Jesus is actually the one who sometimes looks at us and says, Actually, you might want to rethink that. You have these deeply held ideas around how things work. Are you sure that's right? Do you see what's happening here? Jesus is the one who's instilling some doubts about what they believe to lead them to a closer truth. 
So then we carry on, and, and oh, I should add just really briefly that when it, um, Jesus says neither, and it's so that glory will be given to God, um, a number of scholars agree that he's not suggesting God made this person blind intentionally for a demonstration of some sort, but that there is a reason this person's blind that's unknown related to his sin or his parents' sin, but God is going to use that for good. So Jesus does a little bit of teaching here, um, and then he does something really interesting. He looks at the ground, spits on it, makes some mud, picks it up, puts it on the blind man's eyes, and sends him away. Why does Jesus do that? Why doesn't Jesus just heal him? I have no idea as to Jesus' intentions, by the way, but uh, one clue that I think is important for us to consider is that on the day of the Sabbath at that time, there were laws, the Sabbath being the day of rest. And the laws said what was considered work, what was considered rest. One law was that if you mix a paste, that's work. And so you're breaking the Sabbath. What does Jesus do? Mixes a paste to put on this man's eyes. Why? What does Jesus do that for? Why does Jesus once again do work on the Sabbath? Again, I don't really know Jesus' intentions here, but, and I think there's a lot to be unpacked, but I'll just make a quick comment that the Pharisees, some of the religious leaders at the time, were really eager to see God return and restore the Jewish nation. And so they added um, details to how the law was supposed to be worked out, including um, some details around Sabbath law. And there's some sense that Jesus is poking at that and saying, what are you really holding on to in your faith? What is it to you that's so important? And is it actually your sense of control that's more important than what's true? Now, this healing gets the neighbor's attentions, and they're talking, right? Like, isn't this the guy who was born blind? What happened? And, um, and so they kind of go back and forth, and the man says, yes, I am that man. And now the, the, the neighbors are thinking, wait a minute. How did this happen? It happened by mixing a paste. Oh, that's breaking Sabbath law. So then what do they do? They bring this to the Pharisees. And the question they have is, this Jesus person who healed this man, is he a good person? Is he a sinner? And the Pharisees ask this blind man all these questions about what happened to try and dig into that. Who is Jesus? And is he a sinner? And as they dig into it, they can't decide. Because they say, well, on one hand, he broke the Sabbath law, but on the other hand, there hasn't been a single recorded um, event of healing of a man born blind in the Old Testament. And where that kind of power has been discussed, it's been discussed only in the context of God acting in that way. Like God saying, I am sovereign. I am the one who can do this. So now they're torn. Like, who is this Jesus person? And so they ask him, and the man says, he's a prophet. Like, he must be from God somehow. But they're not really sure that the, the healing actually happened. So what do they do? They turn to the parents, and they bring in the parents. And John adds a little bit of commentary here that the parents said, yes, this is my son, but they didn't want to say any more than that because they were scared of the social repercussions. Because the Pharisees already had decided that anyone who acknowledges Jesus is this Messiah figure would, um, 
would be shunned from the, the synagogue. And I'd like to just pause here for a moment and ask us to think about what it would be like if we were in the parents' shoes. Like, imagine you have a child who's in adulthood now, who has had a debilitating condition for their entire life. Someone's brought you in, you see them, they're healed. Maybe blindness physically doesn't really resonate with us, but what if it was depression? What if it was cancer? What if it was another lifelong debilitating illness that this child has had for their entire life? You come in, you recognize this is your child, and they're healed. And you believe them that this Jesus figure is the one who healed them. How would you respond? I don't know how I would respond until I'm actually in that situation. But what John describes here is the parents agree this is their son, agree that he's healed, but when it comes to acknowledging Jesus, they're scared. And I wonder if sometimes that happens to us, where we have had genuine experiences of God's love for us. But when it comes to acknowledging that in a public setting, we're scared of what, how that might make us look. And I know that I've had that. I know that in my questions that I've asked and the doubts that I've asked, a big part of that for me is about worry that this Christianity thing seems kind of unintellectual, seems kind of airy-fairy, like I just believe it because I want some emotional comfort, but it's not true. And this story highlights for us that some of the greatest barriers to faith aren't our questions, but that there are other things that play in our hearts that, that hinder us from, from accepting Jesus. And social fear is one of them. So, the parents come in, the Pharisees interrogate them, and then in the following section, they call the blind man back, and it's just fascinating, the conversation that happens. You know, they start by saying, give glory to God, is this man a sinner? Or we know this man's a sinner. But then they, they go and they say, in verse uh, 26, if you're following along. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? The Pharisees are asking the exact same question. Why is that? And the, the man who was formerly blind kind of picks up on that and says, are you really trying to find out here? Like, wh why are you asking me this again? And this makes me think of some of the qu questions that we ask sometimes that aren't really genuine questions. It's almost like the Pharisees are asking these questions as a way of avoiding the answer. And I know that, for me, I was fortunate that I went through this process where I had all these questions about faith, and I wasn't sure if it was true, and I wasn't sure if there was any good reason to believe in God. And as I dug into it, I came to see, oh, you know, I actually think that Jesus is the one that I should be following. Like, it's the worldview that's most likely to be true and speaks to my mind and my heart but I still hesitate to follow Jesus. And there's still lots of times where I think, well, how do I know that for sure that this is real? And well, what if I trust God, but then things don't work out the way that I want them to? And there are questions that surface that, are, that aren't the kind of genuine truth-seeking questions, but they're questions we ask either to avoid the answer we think is coming or to get to a different answer that makes us feel really comfortable. 
And this passage that happens, the Pharisees and this blind man go back and forth, and it becomes increasingly obvious that the Pharisees aren't actually interested in seeking truth. They already made up their mind. And when we think of why is it that the Pharisees are so resistant, one idea is that the Pharisees are resistant because if they accept who Jesus is, that means that they have to submit to something above themselves. And I think that sometimes our questions are actually ways of feeling in control of what we believe. Like, okay, I figured this out. I know what I believe. I can be my own boss. I can be my own God. And what Jesus is saying is that what hinders faith isn't the questions that we ask. It's when we ask questions with a closed heart. Or let me phrase this differently. What hinders faith isn't our questions and doubts. It's deciding ahead of times that we're closed off to where those questions will lead once it gets uncomfortable. That's what this story highlights about what could be dangerous to faith. And it does that by contrasting the blind man's open-hearted response to Jesus and these Pharisees who ask all these questions, they're highly intellectual, but they've actually, as they ask more, as they try and see more what's happening, they actually turn more and more of a blind eye to it. And I think this makes sense. And, and when we think of what Josh spoke about last week, how faith isn't just something that we know in our head, but it's something that is a relationship, and we, it's an act of trust. It makes sense that our questions and our doubts shouldn't be what we worry about, because if they're genuine, they'll lead us closer to truth. But if faith is actually what an ongoing relationship with God, then what we need to be careful of is us closing our hearts off to who God is. And Jesus highlights how sometimes questions are a mask trying to hide the fact that we have these closed hearts. As we read on, we find out that Jesus heard that this man was thrown out of the synagogue, or I'm not actually sure if it was in the synagogue, but was thrown out, and he finds him. I think that's really interesting that it says Jesus found him, which implies that Jesus was looking for him. Why? He's a busy man. This passage doesn't necessarily answer that. But I think that uh, it does point to Jesus' heart, which seeks after us. And I know that in my own life, there's times where I look back and I think, oh, I was looking for answers so hard, and I was looking for God so intently, and I look back and I realize, oh, actually, God is the one who is chasing after me. He's the one who put these events and put these questions and put these people in my life to draw me to him. He was the one who was searching for me. And this next bit is just, um, I, I'll just read those few verses again because I think it's really um, kind of the, uh, summarizes a lot of, of what the passage talks about. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. The Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, 
If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Sometimes when I think of the word judgment, I think about it in this context where it's like, I'm judging you, I'm looking down on you. But Jesus doesn't seem to use it in that context here. He describes it more like in a courtroom. Like, when I come, I'm going to shine a light on things, and you're going to see things for as they are. And then he goes on to expand on that idea. What that means is that those who are blind, those who realize I need guidance and help, they're going to be able to see. But those who think that they don't need any help, don't need any guidance, or who see this evidence, but then turn a blind eye, that blindness is going to become revealed. The, the effect of him coming is that, that it'll become clear where people's hearts are at. And the Pharisee kind of picks up on this, and he's like, wait, are you, are you, I know you're talking figuratively here now, so are you saying that I'm blind? And Jesus replies by saying, well, you're asking me this because you think that you're not blind, and you think you see everything, and you know everything. But then, in light of this event with the blind man, as more information comes out, you actually turn a blind eye to that. So I think that if, since you claim you can see, you're actually going to be blind. I'm revealing to you that you are continually turning a blind eye to the things that are real, but yet you claim that you can see. And so you're guilty because you had the opportunity to see, but yet you choose not to. And then the story kind of ends there and transitions into another story. And one of the questions I'm left with is, why does it matter so much to Jesus that we believe in him? The whole story revolves around, who is Jesus? Will we believe in him? And then reveals the heart condition. But the question I have is, why is it so important to believe in Jesus? Why does he care so much? And I think that in our modern context, sometimes we can be skeptical, and rightfully so, where we think, is he just like a politician who's trying to gain this traction, and it's really for his own power? And then Jesus uses language like blind and seeing, and sometimes that can feel a bit demeaning, like, okay, Jesus, like, you see, we get it, we're blind, all right. But like, it can feel kind of like he looks down on us. But elsewhere in Jesus' teachings, we see that that's not the heart that God has. But rather, the heart that, that Jesus has is like opening an invitation to, to follow him and to know him, and he doesn't call us blind because he looks down on us, but because he wants to help us and guide us. For me, an analogy that works well and helps me kind of wrap my head around that is with children. And if we could flip to the next slide, um, I, I, there should be a picture of my niece that pops up at some point. And um, Kirsten and I, my wife, were, we were in Ottawa over the holidays and we were visiting my niece. This is Olive and her dad. And um, Olive is 15 months and she is really adorable as with many 15-month-olds, but she's really adorable. And everyone really loves her. Like, we gather around her in the living room or family room whenever she's there. And um, you can flip to the next slide as well, actually. Here's another picture of her. She's really cute. And you can flip to the next slide so we can zoom in and see her some more. But um, why, am I, why am I pointing this out? Because we have this attitude towards her where we're like, oh, you are incredible. 
but you also need an incredible amount of guidance. And there was one evening where we were sitting around and she's eating these crackers and she goes, uh, uh, and the cracker goes and lands in a bunch of dog hair. So what does she do? Well, obviously she picks it up and she goes, ah, and we're like, ah, don't do it. And she goes, ah, and she starts crying. Like, why are you yelling at me? I'm just eating my cracker. But everyone around her says, oh, don't you see that has dog hair on it? You don't want that. that. I mean, it's not really harmful, but it could be. And, you know, don't do that because we care so much about you. We're extra diligent about helping you to see the things you don't see. And I think that's the heart that God has for us when he calls us blind. He doesn't mean it as a kind of power play, but he means it like that fatherly heart that says, ah, don't you see? You don't see. But I'm not telling you that because I, I don't value that. I'm telling you that because I care so, so much about you. And I think that when we think, about well, why does Jesus care so much about whether or not we believe in him? It's because he has that invitation and that heart of a father that says, don't you see? You don't see, actually. But will you let me help you? Will you let me guide you? Will you be willing to be in a relationship with me? I don't know where we're at this morning. I know that I kind of, Sunday morning can be a wild card for me. I can be all over the place. And maybe you're in a place where you're thinking, well, is Christianity just about these, you know, being narrow-minded in my belief and I'm not allowed to question it and I'm not allowed to, to have doubts? And I would say maybe this is a story that can encourage you, that Jesus actually sometimes encourages us to say, are you sure what you believe is true? Because I care that you come into the truth and that you, you come to know me. Or maybe we just need the reminder that God is the God who chases after us and how he seeks and finds the blind man in the moments where we're not sure where he is. He's chasing us. But maybe we're like the Pharisees this morning and we realize in our hearts, sometimes I ask questions because I'm trying to avoid the answer. Or I've already decided that I have a really hard time trusting Jesus and I'm not going to. And maybe the invitation for us this morning is God saying, okay, it's your choice, but please know that I'm telling you this because I have a heart for you as a father that says, no, you don't see, but I'm not telling you that because I'm looking down on you. I'm telling you that because, because I love you and I cherish you. I have a few uh, suggestions for how we might be able to respond to this this afternoon, even this afternoon, hopefully not just this afternoon. Um, so if we can flip to the next slide, and if you have your own ideas, by all means, do what is going to work for you. But something that I found helpful is even just pausing and creating a little bit of space in our day, whether that's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, just to see what comes up. Sometimes I go for a walk by myself and it's like, oh, God, I actually am not sure that you care for me. And that's the question that comes up. Or sometimes I go there and I think, oh, God, it's really nice to remember that you made me and you love me. Thank you. But maybe create a little bit of space in your day just to pause and have that silence and see what kind of things come up, what kind of questions come up, and acknowledge it. Talk to God about it. If you're someone who likes to process individually, journaling can be helpful. If you like to process externally, um, sharing with a friend. I think that's a, 
um, a way of kind of really making it tangible. And then um, maybe take some time on your own and read through John 9 or read the chapter before and after and see, see for yourself and come to your own conclusions and ask, who is Jesus? I really think that if we realize that what hinders faith is not our questions and our doubts, but it's the heart with which we ask those questions, that that can really transform not only our personal lives, but it can transform the way we are in community and society and the way we interact with one another as the church. And let's think about that. How would it affect our relationships with people who believe something completely different? People outside of the church. I think it would give us a lot more respect, at the least, because we understand that process of thinking, what if this isn't true? What if these other perspectives are real? How would it affect our relationships with people within the church, more broadly speaking? Well, I also think it would give us a lot more compassion. I think it would help us to realize, you know what? I've been wrong, and that's okay. So let's focus on the things that really matter. And I think it would also give us more empathy for those who are struggling with doubt, where we can not only say that your questions are good, but we can say, hey, these are the things that were helpful for me as I was thinking through this, and I want to allow you to, to have that information so you can decide for yourself if you want to pray, chat, but at least you know what that experience is like. And ultimately, I think that it affects our relationship with God. That when we have that kind of freedom to discover God, to really look into this evidence, but instead of the Pharisees having a closed heart, but rather like the blind man saying, I don't know who the Son of Man is, but show me. Then we enter into the heart of God that says, ah, don't put that in your mouth. I can see that. Will you trust me? Will you trust that I am saying that you are blind, but I want you to see because I love you as a father loves a child. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who, um, who calls us into a relationship with you and wants us to believe in you, not just because we, um, you're, you're, uh, you want fame and power, but because you want to be able to care for us as a father, a good father. Um, Lord, we confess that sometimes we put up our guards. Um, maybe there's good reasons for that. But Lord, would you show us, would you show us how, how we can let down our guard and see you more and more clearly for who you truly are? Would you give us courage to face the questions and doubts that come up and give us a soft heart that really seeks after truth? Um, thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. We'll now enter into the time of communion. And communion is a time where we remember what Jesus has done for us and Jesus' heart for us. And the bread represents his body broken for us. His blood shed for us is represented in the juice. And uh, all are welcome.